Hello, everybody. Welcome to the League of Fans Sports Forum podcast. I am Ken Reed, and I am your host. I'm also Sports Policy Director for League of Fans, a sports reform project founded by Ralph Nader. You can find some of our work at leagueoffans.org. Our mission at League of Fans is to fight for the principles of justice, fair play, equal opportunity, civil rights, safety, and civic responsibility in the world of sports. With the Sports Forum podcast, we try to take a fairly deep dive on a variety of sports issues. For the most part, we'll be talking about issues beyond the games themselves. So with that, let's get this episode started. Okay, Joe Posnanski is the New York Times bestselling author of the Baseball 100, The Soul of Baseball, my personal favorite, Paterno, and The Secret of Golf. His newest book is Why We Love Baseball, and we're going to get into that pretty quickly here. Joe is the founder and editor of the Substack newsletter Joe Blogs at JoePosnanski.com, as well as co-host of the Poscast podcast with television producer Michael Shore. Joe served as the senior writer for The Athletic, MLB, NBC Sports, and Sports Illustrated. He was named National Sports Writer of the Year by the Sports Media Hall of Fame and was twice named the best sports columnist in America by the Associated Press Sports Editors. Welcome to the League of Fans Sports Forum podcast, Joe. It's great. Great to be here. Well, uh, tell me about or tell us about your recent travels promoting this book, Why We Love Baseball. It's it's been it's been really amazing. So this book came out in September. And you know it's my eighth book, so I mean I I should sort of know how this goes, but but this one has been different from from any of the others in that I've really been traveling the country. I think I've done I, I counted it up the other day, something like twenty twenty or twenty one different cities, um, just doing events. Uh, you know, doing uh, things with moderators and and then doing my own my own little stand up or whatever you want to call it. And it's been it's been so great. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, speaking to what this podcast is all about. I mean, seeing the way that fans respond, not specifically to me or specifically to the book, but specifically to baseball and and how much they love it and how much they want to talk about what the game means to them why they love it uh it, it has been it's it's so awesome and so wonderful and you know I I remind myself that I'll be doing events and then um I'll be signing the books afterward and the people that are doing these events they would say you know, we've, we've set aside 15, 20 minutes for you to sign books afterward. And I'm like, that's fine, but it's going to take much more longer than an hour to do this because, because every single person wants to tell me their story, wants to explain to me what it is that made them fall in love with the game, uh, want to tell me about some game they were at. And I, and I'm, I love that. I mean, I have no other place to be. I mean, it's it's in the evening and and it's just either that or going back to the hotel. And um, so that's it's been really incredible, really, truly incredible. Well, I love that title, Why We Love Baseball. And before we get into that, though, I just wanted to 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 probe a little and find out where your love of sports started and and uh, 
when did you first get into the world of sport? What's your first sports memory? Things like that. All of it's, I don't have many early memories that don't have some sports attachment to it. I I'm, I'm a first generation American. My, my parents moved uh, to, to the United States just a year, year and a half before I was born. And, and my father in particular, um, big sports fan. He, he was, he grew up, uh, he played semi-professional soccer uh, and, and was just a big sports fan and was a big believer that if you're going to raise a son in, in America, and he raised three of us, um, you know, you got to teach him baseball. You got to teach him football. I mean, this is, this is such a, a big part of what it is to be, to be an American for him. So, so my earliest memories are, you know, my dad pitching a wiffle ball to me and, and me swinging a little plastic bat or sitting in front of the television on Sundays and watching the Cleveland Browns play. Um, it, it feels like every, every, sort of distant memory that I have somehow connects to, to something with sports. So I don't remember a time when I wasn't a big sports fan. I, I was one of those kids and I've met a bunch of them on, on the road, uh, which makes me feel happy that I wasn't just some, some outlier, but I was one of those kids at like seven or eight years old, trying to figure out batting averages and how that worked and, and trying to, to, you know, decide you know come up with full full length previews of of the you know the browns versus the bengals and how how the game might play out so i was always just fascinated by it and and as the years went on that became more of a i i fell in love with writing and i fell in love with storytelling and 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 sort of that blended in but I came into it first as a as just a massive sports fan. Well, you touched on the people that come to your events, and obviously they're very passionate baseball fans who truly love baseball. But I guess one of my first questions is the we and why we love baseball. Is that we getting smaller? Because if you go by TV ratings or the number of kids playing baseball, it seems like baseball is actually becoming less popular. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think certainly the numbers are are pretty stark. I mean, you know, you you see it. Obviously, we just came off of the lowest rated World Series ever, and and that's not, in my mind, a particularly good uh, way to judge. You know, uh, sports fans. Uh, baseball is still incredibly healthy. It it does. It's a multi 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 billion dollar business. It's very regional, but, you know, across the country in the individual places in Boston, in New York, in Kansas City and Seattle, um, baseball is the number one, you know, television show throughout the you know spring and summer uh, more than anything else. It's, it's just it's as a national brand, it has fallen off considerably and and certainly as a as a game that, that people play the kids, you know, it's, it's, it's not what it used to be where everybody played baseball. And, and there are obviously a lot of efforts going along that way, but yeah, I, I think, I think as a, as a nation in general, we are becoming so much more fragmented. There are very few things that sort of are universal anymore. The NFL 
kind of is universal in 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 America. Um, but there are very few other things that are, and and baseball has certainly fallen off. But you know, when the title of the book, it's the only book that I've written where I came up with the title first. I knew that I was going to call a book why we love baseball before I even knew what the book was. Um, and that was completely coming off of my last book, the baseball 100, when I was just getting so much response from people. Another great about, book. Yeah. I thank love you. It. Yeah. And, and a, just a great response from people about why they love baseball. And I was like, I had to write a book called why we love baseball. And so it's, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> I've had people say this to me that, you can, you can use where you put your, like where you put the, the, the emphasis changes the title. It could be why we love baseball, or it could be why we love baseball speaking specifically to baseball fans, or it could be why we love baseball, which is, you know, the, a, a whole other thing. Uh, I had not thought of it that way when I came up with the title, I just added this is why we love baseball, but, but it's true that the book is, both a sort of I I hope both an argument and 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 conversation about why we as sort of the the greater whole still love this this crazy game after 150 years. Um, but it's also why we, the baseball fans, uh love the game so much. So I think it's it it is, you know, I, I think there is certainly an understanding that that um that baseball is not the dominant sport that it was even 20 years ago, much less 50 years ago. Um, but it's, it's still really, really popular and really great. And, and, uh, and certainly for me, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful sport to write about. Well, uh, this past year, major league baseball realized that they had some issues that maybe the game was becoming too slow, too long, too many strikeouts, all these kind of things. And they adopted several rule changes, maybe the most rule changes in one year ever pitch clock, bigger bases limit on how many times a pitcher can throw to first, the banning of the shift, et cetera. And while there was some hesitation on some of them at the start, it seemed like as the season progressed that all of them were popular with fans this season. Do you, do you think these new rules are going to boost baseball's popularity even more moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's 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 sort of twofold. I think one, it it it's a correction, you know, for for the way the game had sort of been going wrong in a lot of ways. I mean, the games were not just getting longer. You know, there are, there are baseball purists out there who don't care how long the game is. So they, the game could be seven hours; doesn't matter to them. They they're just like, hey, it's more baseball. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't more baseball. It was more standing around and more sort of stepping out of the box and, and stepping off the rubber and, and meetings on the mound. It was, it was more nothing, you know, it was more dead air. So, so on the one hand, I think this was a real course correction, uh, you know, which, which I think baseball has been very bad being honest about doing i think baseball is has sort of lets tends to let thing let things get out of control before they ever respond i mean i think that was what the whole performance enhancing drug situation was you know i mean I, rather than sort of you know year by year by year making adjustments it was sort of like you know let's not do anything until we have to stand before congress and answer for it right 
And so I think this was sort of the same thing. It's like it took too long um, to realize, hey, the game is like, why is the game a half an hour longer than it was just a few years ago? That that, that doesn't make sense. It's not like the, it's not like we're getting more action. We're getting less action in a lot of ways. So so I think on one hand, it was a course correction. I think on the other hand, when you talk about boosting the sport, to me, this version of baseball is tremendous and much more fun to watch, especially for somebody who's trying to get into the sport or is just being introduced to the sport. Um, I just think this is just a a better version to, to take a young person, to take uh, somebody who's lost touch with the game, uh, to take somebody who's never watched a baseball game in his life, as I've done uh, quite a bit of in the last in the last year or two. And this is a better version for them to see. The, the game's moving. There's an energy to it. There are still things that I think baseball needs to to work on, uh, improve things that have sort of, again, gotten away from them, the strikeouts, the, the number of pitchers that are pitching in every game and so on and so on. But um, – but I I don't know that this is like, hey, you know, now baseball is 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 a different game than it was, you know, a few years ago. Come out and watch it. It's not like that. I just think that if you are being introduced to the game or if you're interested in the game and in, in sort of like, hey, I I used to be a baseball fan. I wonder what it's like now. Uh, I think this version of the game is is a better one to watch. I agree. I. I... I just still wish they could get a handle on the strikeouts because I think there's way too many strikeouts. No question. There's 20, no question about 20. it. And it's, and it's, there are two, there are two elements. People ask me all the time, like, what would you do if you were commissioner? And I said, well, I don't know what I would do, but I know what I would attack. And the two things to me that are the most sort of glaring issues in baseball, are one of the strikeouts and two are the number of pitchers that pitch in, in every game. And, and, they're they're so connected because the one of the big reasons there are so many strikeouts is you have so many hard throwing relievers coming into games. They only have to pitch, uh, you know, one inning, sometimes less than an inning. Starters only go three, four, five innings most of the time now. So it, so there's a there's you know that's certainly a part of the strikeouts, but it's also to me it 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 hurts the continuity of the game. Like I think part of what used to be fun about baseball was that you would watch a pitcher who was tired and, and, you know, had already faced the lineup two or three times and was still trying to figure out a way to get out. And batters were trying to figure out a way to finally get to those pitchers. And, and we've lost that. We've lost that a, a lot. So I don't, there's no putting the genie back in the box. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to go back to, to the days of Bob Gibson throwing, you know, pitchers throwing 350 innings in a year or whatever. But it feels to me like, like creative minds can come up with ways to make it harder for pitchers to, for, for, for teams to, to go ahead and just use an unlimited number of pitchers. I think that with fewer pitchers and, and fewer sort of max effort guys will have fewer strikeouts. I think there are things that, that, that can and should be done uh, along those lines. Uh, but I do think that's the biggest problem facing baseball. Well, baseball's still experimenting with other changes in the minor leagues. And I and probably the biggest one is the robo which is pretty controversial. Uh, people 
really want it or really don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now that they're putting that strike zone in the games all the time, it's almost like, well, let, we got to have it. You're showing everyone what the strike zone looks like. What are your thoughts on it? And it seems like it's inevitable, but how long before we see or have the robo on? I think it is inevitable. Um, and and you're a hundred percent right. I mean, I think once the decisions were made to put the strike zone boxes on television, um, you were basically saying we are now judging the umpire on every pitch and and uh and the umpires are gonna make mistakes. And some of those mistakes are gonna be, you know, very, very costly obviously costly uh a strike three to end a a, a threat or or a or a ball four uh that was that was over the zone that that scores uh you know the, the game winning run i mean i mean there's going to be some and then there are going to be lots and lots of others that are costly in minor ways take account from instead of account being two one it's it's one two and and that changes the whole dynamic of the bat so I think there's an inevitability what what they're they're really playing around with with the miners right now that I do find intriguing is this sort of middle step between uh, having umpires call every strike and having uh, robo umpires call every strike. And it's it's a challenge system that allows teams to challenge immediately uh, a ball or a strike call. Uh, it's it's the batter and the pitcher that get to, to make that challenge, and they have to do it immediately. And as soon as the challenge is made, you go to like the video board and they show an animation of the pitch, kind of the way they do in tennis, yeah. where you'll see if a ball is in or out. And and then that's the final judgment. Like, okay, now you, you challenge this ball. It actually was a ball, or you challenge this ball and you're right it was a strike we're overturning it whatever whatever the the case may be and i i didn't think i'd like it you know it doesn't sound great and i imagine for anybody who's hearing about it for the first time um it doesn't sound great it's like well why do that like that's stupid just make the um if, if you're if you're doing that then just have uh you know robo umps uh, do everything well, but, that, that, that's what tennis has done. I mean, they had that stopgap where there was a challenge, and now it's just whatever the picture right. shows. At, at a lot of tournaments, exactly. And it, so it's sort of like, well, you know. But I think there are two things. One is is tennis couldn't go directly to the no-lines people. They needed a long period of time where there was the challenge system so people could kind of get used to the whole idea. Yeah. And I think in baseball, that's even more true. But the second thing is, and this is, this is really subtle because I've now seen a bunch of games with the challenge system. It's really subtle. And, and what I really like about it is that teams and players have to be really judicious about which calls they challenge. So for instance, first pitch of the of of the game is called a ball and you think it was a strike you probably are not going to challenge that you're just not you're not going to waste one of your challenges maybe you're wrong you lose a challenge that way um and it's not that important you know so it's like you save those things for like important moments and there's 
there's and and that's what we saw in tennis too by the way where people would really save their challenges for you know key critical points and and i i like that i it 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 brought a subtlety to it that i think is i don't think people people think they would love robo umps but the truth of the matter is there are plenty of strike calls that robo umps will make that we will not think of as strikes they're just not but technically they are but from a hitter's perspective they're not and and so so i like still trying to figure out a way to blend the eye the human eye and the and the robo umps and, well, the, and the, the challenge system also gets the fans involved a little because right. you watch those tennis tournaments and they really used to get into watching those challenges Absolutely. And the Absolutely. same thing would happen on the scoreboard in Major League Baseball. No doubt. No doubt. And and I mean it's it's kind of a fun little look, people love, you know, it's I've never gone to a baseball game where fans didn't love the whole ball under the hat, you know, little <laughs> little yeah. thing. And people just stare at that thing and scream out, no, it's under num- hat number one or it's under hat number two. People love that stuff. And so this is really sort of a, there's a way to engage fans on this. They're in the game. They they cheer and boo uh, uh, accordingly, and and uh, you know and and you and you guess. Hey, I think that was probably. I think he's wrong. I think that probably was a strike or or whatever the case may be. I think it would be fun for the fans, and I think it would be a nice subtle way. I I think at the end of the day, whenever that is, we're gonna have some form of auto umpiring i just think we will i i think it's it's kind of you know it's it's a friend of mine has this phrase he loves to use where he calls it the future we already know and i think the future we already know is that once you start going down this path it's it's like in college football when they came up with a four-team playoff for college football the future we already knew is that it would get expanded There's no way it was going to stay at four, no chance. And it was just a matter of time. And now of course it's going to 12, uh, which wouldn't have been my guess. I thought they would have gone to eight, but, but still like right away, as soon as they said, Hey, we're doing four teams. I could tell you immediately. There's no way it's going to stay at four. Same thing with umpiring. I think we know that at the end of the line, there will be pretty much a, a clear, auto uh umpiring system of 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 whatever that is at the time um but but we're not there yet and and i think that there's there are you know some smart ways to get there well the name of our sports reform reform project is league of fans so uh need to get your thoughts on how you think major league baseball has treated fans through the years in general and in particular this past year and to me, it's a little troubling to see what's happened with the Oakland A's yeah. and the tradition they've had with multiple world championships and what John Fisher has done out there. And now he's going to move them to Vegas and Oakland's stuck without a team as, with no recourse. I mean, somehow decades ago, Major League Baseball wrangled a antitrust exemption from Congress. And and so Oakland can't just have another team start up uh, in the in the bay area although i did see they got an independent team called the ballers now <laughs> yeah but yeah. anyway what what do you think about how baseball's treated fans and in that case in particular 
Well, in that case, it's shameful what what the way that John Fisher and baseball have treated the the Oakland A's. And look, there's no, I don't think anything like this is ever entirely one sided. Uh, certainly, uh, letting uh, Oakland Alameda Coliseum, whatever it's called now, um, fall into the disrepair that it's in is is no way to keep a baseball team. And I, I know there were efforts to try to move the team into San Jose and, and that fell through baseball did, you know, the, the giants, I guess st- stood in the way of that. Uh, there, there were negotiations going on. It was unclear to me uh, how, how, you know, serious those negotiations were uh, how close Oakland was, you know, the, now the Oakland mayor is saying that they had a very clear proposal uh, on the table, which which at least on paper looks a lot better than the proposal they got from Las Vegas. Um, but but I you know I I know that there's a lot there's a lot there that I don't know, and and so I couldn't speak to that. But what I could speak to is it, the fans were always an afterthought in in the process, and and it is shameful, and and it was shameful the way the commissioner kind of mocked Oakland's efforts to to sort of display their their grief and 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 anger over what was happening here and uh that was shameful uh baseball is not in my mind done very well by the fans i i think i think that that baseball i don't know that any sport is sort of the model for how you you treat fans maybe the nba does does a better job than others but what I would say is that baseball is is toward the bottom, and it's not just Oakland. It's not just the way they handled the Astros scandal and the whole, you know, commissioner's misstep calling the the uh, the the you know World Series trophy a, a a hunk of metal or a piece of metal or whatever he called it. Um, I, it, it bothers me. I mean, to me, I, I think that 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 baseball more than any other sport should be the most fan friendly of those sports, because I think it's, it's the, it's the sport that asks the most of fans. I mean, it's 162 games. You're, you're asking, you know, families to, to come. You're, you're asking them to spend a tremendous amount of money these days. It's a lot different than when, you know, we were growing up. Uh, It's, it's a, it's a huge investment of time and money and, and, you know, they're asking, parents to raise their kids on baseball the way I was raised on baseball. And, and I, I don't feel like the sport has done nearly the sort of work uh, it could do in, in bringing fans into the game. I think where baseball has been, you know, uh, somewhat proactive is in trying to move baseball into, into, you know, communities where, uh, whether it's around the world or the inner city or or that kind of thing, they've there have been some some very strong efforts to to uh, to to expand baseball into those worlds. But uh, for the average fan, I I just don't feel like baseball. I, I thought this year was the first time. I thought this these rule changes were very directly um, intended to make the game better for fans, and I thought it was long overdue. But I also thought it was a, a real sort of seismic shift from from the last few years which has sort of been more along the lines of this is our game you know 
love it or leave it, you know, and, and I, I don't think that's good for the sport. One of the things that I hear a lot from fans, a complaint, uh, most people wouldn't think of, but it, but people are just getting more and more bothered by radio ad broadcast or ads on radio broadcast. It's like, it seems like everything, the pitching change is brought to you by Geico or the seventh thing right. stretch is brought to you by Home Depot. And it's just, it's more than just the ads itself. It's the increasing over commercialization of the sport. I mean, now we have patches on uniforms for, for sponsors and it's like, it seems like there's no end to the greed of how can we make more money? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I actually totally agree with that. I, I mean, it's not, there are two elements again, I've always seemed to be saying two elements a lot, but there are two elements that, 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 that strike me about it. One is that, you know, the, there's the, the question of like, guys, just how much money is enough? You know, I mean, just to really do I need every single thing just sponsored do i need to be just just have this hammered in my face i i know that there are fans that have really find it annoying to have commercials inside the game where they split the screen and they'll show you know a commercial on one side and show the 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 action on the other and and it's like really there weren't enough commercials i mean like and like at what point is enough enough you know so i think there's that's one side of it but the other side of it is it, it feels like as a fan, they're not speaking to you anymore. They're using you. You are a, a consumer and that's fine, but they're speaking to the gambling entities. They're speaking to the, to the, to the car companies They're speaking to the, to the Geico's and, and Home Depot's and Lowe's and that that's, that's their audience. And then we just happen to be like, just there. And, and, you know, every, every commercial and every uh you know add on on the screen and every you know patch and every one of those things just further sort of distances the game a little bit from the fan and and that is that's i mean when i say new it's it's 50 years but relatively new i mean the game used to be 100% ticket prices right it used to be 100% what you pay tickets, what you buy at the concession stands, everything revolves around you as a fan. And now it's not. It's now it's almost like you're secondary to uh, these other entities that are the ones that are really paying for this. And of course, those entities, they're, they're only paying for it because of us as fans. But still, it 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 feels it feels like that some of the things that we as fans say just fall on deaf ears because of that. Good points. Uh, I, I want to kind of end this podcast episode though, by getting back to your writings, your new book obviously is why we love baseball, which I've enjoyed too. But as I mentioned at the start, my favorite is the soul of baseball with Buck O'Neill. I mean, it seems like he is, he was such a unique human being and you had the pleasure of spending what a year with him or, or on the yeah. travels in any way and just a brief comment on on what that experience was like and then maybe if that wasn't your favorite book to write what was oh no that'll always be my favorite book i mean it, it you know to, to it was my first book i i did i'd never written one i didn't know what it was to write one and that book came about because of my friendship with bach o'neill 
who, you know, as you say, was this great Negro Leagues player and manager and scout, spokesman of the game and and most beloved figure maybe in the history of baseball. And and he was the one that pitched me. He's the one that said to me, somebody should write a book about how joyful baseball is and how joyful baseball was when we played in the Negro Leagues as, as, as hard as it was and and as as unfair as things were uh the games themselves playing with these incredible players was was the time of our lives and and somebody should express that and so that was what I wanted to do and I and and I didn't know how to do it <laughs> and so at some point I I went to Buck I said Buck the only way I think I can do this book is to do it through you and to travel with you and you know he was at that point 93 and he was, but he was still traveling the country talking about baseball. And I said, I want to travel the country with you. And so it was a year of, of travel with Buck. And of course I knew him by then uh, for, for years, we, we'd become friends and, but traveling around the country with Buck O'Neill, that's, it doesn't, it doesn't get better than that. And it was, yeah, it, it's 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 the most important book I've ever written. It's the most special and most personal book I've ever written. I loved, loved, loved writing Why We Love Baseball. Uh, it, it was as much fun as I've ever had writing a book. Baseball 100 in its own way was that too. The book I'm writing now, Why We Love Football, is incredible fun. But no, you're never going to have anything quite like, like getting to travel the country with, with Buck O'Neill, who is like a was like a second father to me well his his character was so impeccable and i think while it was unfortunate the hall of fame didn't put him in while he was still alive watching the video i don't know who made it now but how he reacted to that setback when everyone thought he was going to get in how he quickly reverted to his positive attitude and thinking about other people and can i still promote you know, guys I played with that did get in, et cetera, it was, it was a capstone on who he was as a person. Yeah. I mean, when, when he didn't get into the hall of fame, I, I had in my mind, again, this is my first book I've ever written. So I'm writing the book and I'm thinking to myself, he's going to get into the hall of fame in, in February of 2007, uh, 2006 he's going to get in the hall of fame. That's the perfect ending for this book. The ending for this book is going to be me in Cooperstown with a 94 year old Buck O'Neill, uh, him, him, you know, accepting uh, induction into the hall of fame. And when he didn't get in, of course it was devastating to all of us. Anybody who knew him, it was devastating, but it's like you say, I was in the room with him, me and him. And we find out he's not getting in. And Bob Kendrick, president of the museum, went downstairs to to set up the press conference. Uh, and he was devastated, as we all were. And Buck puts his hand on my shoulder and says, uh, I wonder who's going to speak on behalf of the 17 who, who are getting in. And I said, I, I don't know. And he said, I wonder if they'll ask me. And I was so hurt at the moment. I I, I couldn't even believe it. And I said, Buck, you would do that? You would speak on behalf? Like, this is seconds after they find out. He finds out that they snubbed him. And he said, son, what has my life been about? Yeah. And that, to me, was 
Bach, I mean, what his life was about was keeping the memory alive of those players. It was, it was keeping the memory alive of those time. It was talking to people about how far we've come and how far we, we continue to go and need to go. Uh, that was what his life was all about. So for him, you know, speaking on behalf of 17 who were long gone, getting elected to the hall of fame just weeks before he died uh, was, you know, use the word capstone that that's the right word. Well, that's a good spot to end. Uh, Joe Posnanski, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And listeners, I would highly, highly recommend any of Joe's books or his blog, actually. Um, but if you're a baseball fan, please make sure and get a copy of his newest book, Why We Love Baseball. I can assure you, you won't regret it. Thanks for your time, Joe. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of League of Fans Sports Forum Podcast. If you would please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, it would be appreciated. You can follow Sports Forum and get information about episodes on Facebook at Sports Forum Podcast. And be sure to go to LeagueofFans.org to find some of our latest work on contemporary sports issues. Until next time, take care.